This is Husky Film and Video Podcast. I'm J.P. Belmont, here with your latest news on film, TVs, video, and everything that has to do with the film industry. And today, we have quite the topic for you today. We are going to be discussing black history and also in the film industry. And now I would like to take it over to Cassie, who is going to kick off our topic for today. Cassie? Uh, yeah, so as JP just said, we are speaking about black history and kind of black people in film and how they uh, revolutionized the film industry in their own way and like how they brought about, you know, culture to the mainstream and film. So basically I want to start off by talking about like the history of black film and black film's origin. Uh, it started out like probably as you can imagine as a counterculture to mainstream film. Specifically one of the first famous black films was Within Our Gates, directed by black director Oscar Michoud. And basically it was, you know, a response almost well not almost it was a response to birth of a nation which obviously was a wildly racist film and um you know it had its impact on film but you know it was still racist and it still had um it showed the sentiments that many americans at the time felt about black americans and so basically oscar michelle he wanted to kind of show racism from the point of view of a black person and this was the first time that this had been done in film and that it you know was the view or the point of view of a black person most of the times it was like you know when black people weren't it was to kind of caricaturize us or to um make us look bad or you know degrade black people in a way with like blackface and everything but you know this was one of the first um kind of famous black films that showed black people in the kind of the protagonist and in the protagonist role and from their perspective experiencing racism you know so it followed a black woman who lived in the south and she had to travel north as a way to raise money for a school she was trying to build in the south and she falls in love with this white man in the north and he comes back down to the south and he sees like the racism that she has to deal with and he's appalled and that's kind of what the movie follows right and so it was kind of from there you know we had like our list of So they started being able to fulfill more roles in the sector of black film, but in mainstream film, like that wasn't the case. Obviously, like black actors and actresses were still pigeonholed, and that was one of the things that um, actress Dorothy Dandridge, Dandridge um, was kind of. Uh, she was very objective. She was like very against being typecasted. That was her entire thing she was pretty adamant about never wanting to play a slave role or like a role where in which a black like 
stereotypical black roles, right? You know, it's still even today where black actors and actresses are um, kind of pigeonholed when it comes to getting roles in mainstream media and mainstream films. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. That definitely is something that I noticed uh, has happened. You know, where you say everything's been like pigeonholed. Um, I remember uh, a friend of mine, uh, he was dating a black actress, and for a while she was doing Broadway, but then she stopped because every single role that they would give her would be something like indentured servant, you know, Mm -hmm. slave, and she didn't like that. And I remember for a long time, there's been a lot of uh, pigeonholing in, uh, especially sometimes with action movies and in horror movies. Like, for example, I remember one of the things in horror movies way back in the day, like, the black person always dies. Well, same thing with, like, you know, and it was like, why? It's like, I'm sorry, like, their character had, like, the most development. Like, why would you kill them off? Exactly. It's always something like that, right? Or, like, um, where a black person would always kind of be like the best friend like you know that whole genre of movies kind of like the early 2000s um i don't know i call it like the early 2000s teen drama flicks yeah you know kind of those movies right and like the black person would always play kind of like the best friend or the sidekick right but she would never be like the main character or the protagonist herself yeah so they seem to always that does happen a lot like typecasting definitely there's always like a typecasting within um like you really have to like break out because i remember when uh for example uh will smith like he started off on fresh prince of bel-air like he would have been you know easily typecasted in just goofy funny roles but then he went on to doing men in black which yeah it was kind of goofy but it was still sci-fi then he went to do more you know serious roles like i robot you know i am legend the pursuit of happiness and uh now that you mentioned like the black uh, sidekick um because i remember like at least for me as a kid this definitely had a lot of influence on me uh, as far as black characters like uh cause my one of my favorite tv shows growing up was family matters and uh, uh and i always looked at that show for a lot of morals and me as a someone who's hispanic and i you know i i actually kind of see a lot of correlation with uh, the way sometimes my family acts even with my with my grandmother like my like my grandmother is literally like a i would say a hispanic version of mother winslow with like she's very witty but you know a lot of wisdom and still very uh has this uh hip like attitude to her and it it amazes me that like still like there's a lot of pigeon holding in the industry for black people and people of color because uh here's what's and i'm gonna say a few things that you know it's gonna surprise everyone okay julia white who played steve urkel he also did the voice for sonic the hedgehog and most people don't realize that like when they think sonic they think it's like some white dude's voice no that is literally a black actor who is voicing one of your favorite you know fictional characters um and also one of the things that definitely had you know uh 
the at least one of the positives of what I could see, you know, growing up. Like for example, you mentioned the black sidekick. Like for example, Hey Arnold, his best friend was Gerald, and he was black. But they, but with the, uh, with Gerald, like they actually gave him, you know, his own story arc. They developed him as a character. They didn't like give him like one-off lines. They actually, you know, embody him and you know, as a character and as his family. And there was a sense of you know diversity with how you know they made him. Yeah. No, like, that's definitely a thing where, um, because, like, I don't have a problem with there being, you know, with the black person necessarily being a sidekick, but, you know, I mean, like, I have a problem that that's, you know, a lot of the times the case, but, you know, if it's, like, a well-developed character, and they're not just there for, like, one-liners or just to be kind of, like, the goofy, um, like, you know the goofy comic comedic relief right they're not like an actually fully realized developed character is mainly where i have an issue with it you know yeah so so you know kind of leading from that we could also talk about um the black exploitation era in film right and so this was kind of i believe the late 60s but definitely um the 70s yeah this was late 60s early 70s um kind of this new subgenre of action films and you know for the first time like in mainstream media black people were getting main roles right and this kind of was kicked off by sweet sweetback the movie Sweet Sweetback. Sweet Sweetback. Never heard of that. Never? Okay, so basically it's like a movie and it follows this black man who is uh, he's like a criminal. He's not so he, yeah, so he's a criminal and like a prostitute and you know, he's just like fighting crime and everything and he's like this hero, this anti-hero of sorts but he's like the main character right and so for the first time that black people were seeing themselves on screen as the main character and as the hero right right even though they were like you know kind of it was like an anti-hero type thing but they were and so this kind of proved it disproved the myth that audience um, didn't want to see black people in leading roles, seeing that black exploitation films did very, very well and became a, a whole subgenre of its own. And, you know, many people copied that style and that um, aesthetic of film, right? Where it's just like main black actor or actress fighting crime, but they live kind of on the fringes of society. And, mm-hmm. you know, they were able to uh kind of be that hero and black people were able to see themselves kind of in the shoes of the protagonist for the first time in mainstream cinema right but this kind of like came to an end because during like the mid-70s because there's like a saturation and oversaturation of those type of movies and i guess people were getting tired of seeing it yeah and there was also like complaints about it not being a good kind of image 
for black people, right? Because they were showing black people kind of in, you know, they were like the lead characters and the protagonists, but they weren't like stand-up people in society. Yeah, it, I think what most people don't realize is the reason the those movies were definitely created at that time because it kind of shows relatability. Like for example, um, me, but like for example, I grew up in I grew up in Bridgeport, like and you know, growing up in Bridgeport, uh, you know, in a school that was very predominantly you know black and hispanic like when we go to move uh see movies we want to see a character that we could re relate to and especially when we saw a character that you know uh grew up in a place that was very you know inner city like that was very uh that was very uh metropolitan and you know they were going through a struggle it was relatable to us versus like okay if you take a character like you know and then put them in something that's completely unrelatable you know it's not going to touch that audience and that's where people kind of miss the cue on that it's like yeah you could have you know a story you know uh and this is where i think kind of family matters did this well where okay they they made a you know they took a black family and they put them you know uh in a very you know wholesome environment suburbs. yeah they put them in the suburbs but they're like in chicago which we know chicago uh, has a reputation for being very dangerous but you know they still kind of went through struggles that you know that the audience you know especially the uh audience that was black or of color was able to relate and was able to relate to and it also gave, you know, wholesome family uh, lessons and they were able to have, you know, a diverse cast of characters so, because a lot of people uh, at the time they thought, oh, because it's it's going to be an all black show. They're not going to. It's like, no, they actually gave, you know, a balance to like everything. Like, for example, like Carl, Carl Winslow, his uh, his partner half the time was Lieutenant Murtaugh. And Lieutenant Murtaugh was a white guy, but it's like, you know, at the end of the day, the emphasis of the show were, was the lessons of what it taught. And same thing with, you know, shows like Fresh Prince. Uh, uh, let me see. Uh, Good Times. Martin. They all kind of, you know, yeah. shared a certain sentiment and lesson that kind of people often, more often than not, tend to miss and they overlook it. Right. You know, so that was definitely uh it it was definitely a an influence yeah, an influential period in black film, right? The black exploitation era. And even though there was like pushback, like you said, and people wanted to see more wholesome um black family matters type shows or type things in the mainstream mm -hmm. um and that still kind of held like a special place in black cinema and the culture of black film you know and it kind of even if you think about um films in the 90s that like starred black people there was kind of still that style um you know that was kind of underlying it right like pulp fiction 
right yep it's kind of low-key a black exploitation film right a black actor going about fighting crime and being the protagonist so you know that definitely was an important era in film i do think that you were right like when you said that you can like balance both kind of the relatability factor and the wholesome factor right it doesn't necessarily have to be one or the other you can still kind of have that um piece of it that does relate to black audiences but at exactly. the same time still be wholesome because um black families and black culture is wholesome it in is some parts right and i mean like there are other parts of it that aren't as wholesome as in any other culture but you know both parts should be portrayed and put on screen yeah for for people to watch yeah it, it definitely should and that's what like uh me like my mom especially when when a film is very like for example any, anytime we flip through the TV, like we're trying to watch for something to watch or looking on Netflix, it, it's centered around a black family. My mom enjoys it the fact that it gives a lot of good lessons and it helps break through a lot of um, stereotypes in the sense that, okay, like, yeah, they're dealing with a struggle, but they're still, they're still people just like anybody else. Yeah, just like, you know, their, their struggle is just like, uh, you know, different there's a wholesomeness to it there's a like especially when you watch films like um uh freedom writers when you watch uh films like uh uh gridiron gang when you have you know the films that you know dealt with like a what's the name of the film where this girl she has to win a spelling bee and you know and she had i remember in the commercial she had to spell prestidigitation yeah, she had to spell prestidigitation. And I remember every time that commercial came on, I would try to spell it. I couldn't even spell the word. And what I liked about that film is it put you in a real-world setting that, yeah, she was in a very uh, urban, you know, a uh, very urban area where it was very, you know, run down. There was a lot of, you know, uh, corruption, but it shows that through her intellect, she was able to help change the neighborhood around her and influence it. And I feel that's not being shown enough. It needs to be shown even more right now today, especially with black cinema. Yeah. And, and so, like, delving into modern black film, um, I kind of, like, coined this genre of film or this kind of like new waves of film that I'm, I've been observing and witnessing. I kind of call it the woke era of black film, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, there are lots of movies kind of dedicated to teaching people about, you know, anti-black racism and systemic racism and, you know, the different types of discrimination and how it comes in varying forms to people, right? So, you know, we have movies like, um, uh, it's flipping me, the movie that was directed by Jordan Steele, Peter Steele, um, not Peter Steele, Peter Steele's the, the lead singer of, of Typo Negative, he died. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, that's a, that's a different. That's a different. Thank you for listening to part one of a very special episode of the History of Black Cinema as part of Husky Student Film and Video Club podcast. Tune in to hear part two of this episode at the Husky Student Film and Video podcast here on Anchor, Spotify, and any other podcast streaming services. Thank you.